Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn to two openings of Scripture. First of all, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and then after that we'll look at uh, Romans chapter 10. We uh, started a series some weeks ago that we're just entitled uh, Faith Seminar. And uh, our intent is to talk about the subject of faith, but I'm coming at it from a little different angle. Um, I hesitate to say this, but right on the other hand, I feel like I need to. Um, I'm not sure that this seminar would be the place for somebody to start learning about faith. There are some things that, uh, that, that are on my heart to share and even some things that we've talked about up to this point that, um, uh, that seem to me, uh, you judge it for yourself, but it seems to me to be better geared for people that have heard about faith before. So if, if uh, the subject of faith is a new subject to you, I want to encourage you uh, to get uh, some of the other series that we might have or other materials back at the bookstore, um, uh, the ABCs of faith, for example, and, and foundations of faith and some things like that might be a better uh, beginning point because uh, we're, um, uh, well, I don't know how to say it any other way than say this. I really feel impressed and led of the Spirit of God to talk about faith in a different way than I ever have before. And um, I've already started on that in, to, to some degree, but, um, but I will much more so uh, tonight and in the coming weeks as well. So that having been said, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 is the definition, the Bible definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Different translations will relate this in uh, uh, different ways. One translation says faith means we're confident of what we hope for and convinced of what we don't see. Another translation, many other translations, say that faith is the title deed for what we can't see or for what we hope for. And uh, the, the important thing is faith deals with the unseen. Now, I've made this statement before, and, and I, I don't want to make a doctrine or be dogmatic about it, but I want you to understand something, folks. There are many different teachings and many different uh, books and materials and different things out there that, that talk about the difference between head faith and heart faith. Bible faith deals with the unseen. Nothing else does. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we go tonight. But real faith, faith as defined by the Bible, has to do with the unseen and the unseen only. Now, the difference in what people talk about head faith and heart faith, heart faith uh, that we'll look at, uh, well, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. We might as well go ahead and look at that now. Paul is uh, describing some things about faith, and he's talking about faith and salvation. But faith works the same in every area, whether it's saving faith or, or special faith or any other kind of faith, faith to receive anything from the Lord. Paul said, beginning in verse 8 of Romans chapter 10, he said, but what saith it? He's just previously said uh, what faith doesn't say. Faith doesn't say if only Jesus could come back, only if, if only Jesus could be raised again from the dead. But what does it say? Verse 8, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in, the, and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, this is basic faith 101 in, in what I'm about to say. And that is faith has two legs. One leg is believing in the heart. The second leg is what you say. Now, they won't work independently of each other. Believing in the heart without saying with your mouth does you no good whatsoever. It's faith, but it's inactive. It's ineffective. But saying... Without believing in your heart doesn't do you any good either. Because there's no foundation for the words that you're speaking. So the first thing Paul does talk about when he defines faith and the operation of faith is he says there are two legs to faith. One is believing in the heart and the other is speaking with the mouth. Same exact thing Jesus said over in Mark chapter 11 in his description of faith. Verse 9 he tells us how this faith works in the heart and, with, and in the mouth. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth... 
the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Notice salvation depends on those two legs of faith. Believing that God raised Jesus from the dead in your heart. That means believing apart from what you can see or feel. Believing just because the Bible says so. And then the second leg, the second part, the part that makes faith effective is to speak with the mouth. Now, the the confession that's made for uh, salvation, notice, is not the confession of sin. It's to confess Jesus as your Lord. And then the Bible says if anybody does that, then they'll be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, notice that phrase, for with the heart man believeth unto. Another way to, to, uh, to phrase that would be with the heart man believes to become righteous and with the mouth confession is made unto to become saved or unto salvation now let me ask you a question how many of you believe you're righteous now you realize that what i just asked don't you i just to believe that you're righteous would be the same thing as to believe that you're saved how many of you believe you're saved why faith deals with the unseen can you not see the salvation experience uh, exhibited and expressed in your life John said, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he said, we know. He didn't say we believe. He said, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. See, there's no reason whatsoever for you to believe that you're righteous. There's no reason whatsoever for you to believe that you're saved. You know you're saved. You know you're righteous because of the change that's taken place in your heart. And the change that's, been, that's taken place in your life. The fact that the love of God was shut abroad in your heart. That's evidence that you can see. Faith brought you to salvation. But once salvation was yours, you didn't need any faith for it anymore. See, if we just believe that we're, we're saved, then that means if we turn loose of that belief that we're saved, then we could lose our salvation. But that's not how it works. You believed unto salvation. You believed in your heart because, God raised, because the Bible says God raised Jesus from the dead. And you confessed with your mouth unto, to become righteous, to become saved. But now you don't believe it anymore. Now you've got it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, with that in mind, it, it makes sense, a little bit more sense, for us to understand when Paul said, writing to Second Corinthians, the, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5 and verse 7, he said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, what's he doing? He's contrasting a faith walk or a faith lifestyle with what you can see. Again, the Bible definition in Hebrews 11.1 1 is now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the evidence of things not seen. If you can see it, there's nothing to believe for. So many times people say, well, I believe I'll, I believe I'll receive my healing when I can see the change in my body. Well, why would you need to believe it then? If you can see a change in your body, you'd already have it. You'd know it. And there's a big difference between believing and knowing, folks. Big difference. Knowing has to do with the five physical senses. Knowing has to do with what you can see and feel. Believing has everything to do with what you can't see and what you can't feel. Let me show you an example. Turn with me over to John chapter 20. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, the purpose of this is not to split hairs over words. It's not to play gotcha. I saw you raise your hand that you believed you were saved. I caught you. Now, who cares about that kind of stuff? What I want you to do is understand. Because understanding has everything to do with your your ability to be strong in faith. The difference between a person that's strong in faith and a person that's weak in faith is the renewing of the mind. In other words, their understanding of who they are and how faith works. 
And that's the only difference. One person that's strong in faith doesn't have something more than another person has. uh, Assuming they're both saved. See, Romans chapter 12, Paul talks about how that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Everybody starts off, once they're born again, everybody starts off with the same measure. Now, what you do with it may be different than what I do with mine. You may develop yours and I may leave mine dormant. And the Bible talks about faith that grows. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and uh, and, uh, commended them. He said, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the love toward each one of you abounds. So he commended them because their faith was growing and their love was growing. So faith can grow. Faith can be on different levels. Your faith can be at a different level tomorrow than it is on the, the level that it's on today. Or next week more than today. Or next month more than today. It has to do with what you do with it. Well, what does the Bible say that faith is about? Faith is about believing in the heart, not believing what you can see. Here's an example of that. Let's start reading in John chapter 20. Um, well, on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, let's pick up in verse 19 and we'll read down through the, uh, get the, the, the import of the story. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive you the Holy Ghost. Now this is when they were born again. We see a change take place in their lives immediately thereafter. Now if Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Ghost, and they didn't receive something, then he tricked them. He didn't breathe on them and said, Now... And on the day of Pentecost, some 50, year, 50 days later, you will, or 47 days later, you will receive the Holy Ghost. That's not what he said. He breathed on them for them to receive something right then. Well, what did they receive? What Jesus said, the Holy Ghost. They were born again. Now, 47 days from this point in time, they're filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But they received the Holy Ghost. Notice what the connection of receiving, with the, of receiving the Holy Ghost, the, connecting, the thing that Jesus connects with receiving the Holy Ghost in their experience, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Notice when he said, receive the Holy Ghost and breathed on them. He talked about the Holy Ghost in connection with the remission of sins. That's another way of saying salvation. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto them. Now please notice, they told him what happened. Earlier in that day, uh, the day that Jesus appeared to the rest of the group, Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus risen from the dead. She goes and tells the disciples, and they don't know what to think about it. Then Jesus appears to them, and they get saved. Thomas wasn't there, and they told him about their experience. Well, it would seem to me that Thomas would be excited when they're all telling him that Jesus is alive. We've seen him. He was with us. He breathed on us, and boy, our lives changed. Something changed on the inside of them. That should be a good, uh, a good place for Thomas to say, well, even if I didn't think that would happen, he's tricked me or, or done more than, than I ever thought that he would do before. I've been fooled on his ability before. This is great news, but that's not his position. Thomas heard what they said. They said, we have seen the Lord, verse 25. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, notice this phrase, I will not believe. 
Notice he does not say he cannot believe. He says he chooses not to. He refuses to believe. Folks, you need to understand something about faith. Faith is an act of the will. It's not a matter of ability. It's an act of will. You can believe anything you will believe. And how many times do we see, you can watch the nightly news on any station and see how many people are believing the wrong things. Believing things that are absolutely untrue. Believing lies that are being told. But they choose to believe. It's an act of will, not a matter of ability. Do you see that? Thomas says, unless I can see him and touch him, unless I can see him and feel him, I will not believe. What is Thomas requiring for his belief? His five physical senses to tell him something is real. Now remember, Paul writes to the church and says, we as Christians walk by faith and not by sight. Keep that in mind. Thomas says, nope, not going to believe you. What does he think? Does he think all these guys are lying to him? What does he think? Does he think he's right and everybody else is wrong? What could this guy possibly think? Well, of course, we'd have to speculate to to draw a conclusion, and I don't think any of us are willing to do that. But regardless, he just takes a position that he refuses to believe unless he can see something. Folks, I would submit to you that's not real faith. That's not Bible faith. It may be what some people call head faith, but it's not Bible faith. It's not the kind of faith that receives from God. It's not the kind of faith that pleases God. Verse 26, and after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Same thing he said the first time he appeared to the others. Then he said to Thomas, he doesn't hesitate, he turns immediately to Thomas and says, Reach hither your finger and behold my hands. And reach hither your hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless but believing. And be not faithless but believing. Notice Thomas is identified by Jesus as being faithless, without faith. Why? Because he refused to believe what he heard. If being faithless is refusing to believe what you hear, then being faithful or having faith would be to receive what you hear from the word of God. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So having faith or being faithful means you're willing to receive whatever God's word says, no matter what you see or feel. That's what Thomas refuses to do. So Jesus says, touch me. Do all the things you said you were going to have to do. Thrust your hand into my side. Put your hand into the the nail holes. Touch me. Handle me. And be not faithless but believing. In other words, change your refusal to believe. Alter your will. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now verse 29 is really the important one to me. Jesus answered him and said... Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Notice Jesus did not commend Thomas's faith or his position. It's really not faith, but the, the, the kind of faith that he exhibited where he said, I have to believe it, I have to see it before I believe it. Jesus didn't commend that. There's no blessing attached to it whatsoever. Jesus instead said the blessing is attached to those who have not seen and choose to believe. Now, is that true just with Jesus? I don't know about you, but I didn't see it saved because I saw Jesus. Did you? Anybody had a 
Paul on the Damascus Road experience? Saw a light shine from heaven or anything like that? Anybody get saved because Jesus appeared to you and said, touch me, handle me? See me, feel me? Anything like that? Well, it worked for you though, didn't it? You believed, you confessed Jesus as Lord, and it worked. You got saved. Now, I would submit to you that Thomas never does really get over into faith. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. Thomas knows that Jesus now is raised from the dead, but it's not real faith. Because it was based on what he saw and what he felt. Now, Jesus says that it's believing, but what kind of believing? It's not the kind of believing that, that pleases God. It's the kind of believing that people walking in the flesh, walking by sight, operate under. And Paul says we walk by faith and not by sight. So what does that mean? Well, since faith is the only way you can get faith, is not by Jesus appearing. Notice it doesn't say, now faith comes by having a vision. Faith comes by the appearance of Jesus. It doesn't say any of that. It says faith comes by hearing. So Thomas didn't really get faith by Jesus appearing. His criteria was satisfied, but it's not faith. Thomas now knows, just like the others know, that Jesus is raised from the dead. But Thomas is in a different and unique situation than anybody else we have record of in history. Jesus did something unique for him. To keep one of the twelve. Well, one of the eleven. Judas is already, you know, out of the picture. I wouldn't commend anybody to take Thomas's position. I don't, I don't have any question in my mind that a lot of people have died and are now burning in hell because they said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the Lord. Or I'm not going to believe unless God proves something to me. You don't ever have any guarantee that God's going to prove something to you. Do we? So what does that mean? Well, back to our definition. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We know that faith is of the heart. We walk by faith and not by sight. That means we walk independent of our five physical senses. That means Bible faith, the kind of faith that receives from God, the kind of faith that believes or uh, that pleases God, that kind of faith comes only from acting and operating and living your life independent of what you can see and feel with your physical senses. So what does that mean? Well, you may, be, you may look at your checkbook and see that you're out of money. Or see that you're not going to have enough money. But the Bible says that the chastisement of your peace, literally prosperity, was upon Jesus when he died on the cross. It's not the only thing that it says, but it's part of what Isaiah 53, 5 says Jesus paid the price for. He literally paid the punishment for poverty so that you could be prosperous in life. So what do we do? Well, we've got a choice. Are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? Oh, Pastor Mike, I want to walk by faith, okay? Well, since the Bible says Jesus has already done it, then how do we activate it? How do we put that prosperity in motion in our own lives? How do we receive it? Malachi 3.10 says, If we bring our tithe into the storehouse, God opens the windows of heaven to us and pours us out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. Oh, but Pastor Mike, I couldn't pay my tithes. I can't afford to pay my bills. Now think about what that means. That means you and I, in almost every situation, financial, physical, and every other area of our life, have a choice how we're going to walk, how we're going to live our lives. Are we going to live our lives according to what we can see? Or are we going to live our lives according to what the Bible says is real? Do you realize that it pleases God 
for you and I to pay our tithes when it looks like we can't afford it? That's the kind of faith that comes from and only comes from hearing the word of God. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. Hebrews eleven six, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently seeking him is acting on his word. At least that's part of it. So it pleases God when we do things that operate contrary to our five physical senses. Now, there's a, there's a physical pain associated with it. One of the things the Bible talks about is bearing fruit. And the, re, the way to bear fruit is to purge the, 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 the limb that the fruit is on. I don't know about you, but sometimes paying my tithes. When I first started off, paying my tithes was like cutting one arm off. It's the way it felt. Because if I can't pay my bills already, how in the world is giving God 10% of everything I've got or everything that I make, how is that going to help? Well, there's nothing we can see and feel that makes it that makes it make sense, is there? But folks, I can tell you that it works. I don't believe tithing works. I know it works. I don't have to believe it anymore because I've got physical evidence in my life. Don't you? See how we move from faith to knowing, from believing to knowing? That's what the Bible talks about, add experience to your faith. There are some things that you believe for that you don't have to believe for again because you know that the, the answer has come into your life. And it doesn't mean you'll never have to believe for it ever again. For example, you may know that God answered your prayer, uh, a financial prayer or a financial need that you had. You may have to pray another financial prayer down the road. Uh, one, uh, one of the stories that uh, Brother Hagin used to tell that, um, uh, that got me to, to, to really thinking about some things and really interested me and, and frankly got me to reading after the man myself is a guy, English uh, man named George Muller. Uh, Brother Muller was, uh, uh, he had uh, orphans on his heart. And at the time that he lived in the late, uh, well, what would it have been? Well, early 1900s, I guess, is uh, when he was uh, doing the most of his work. He, they were in, uh, in England, in the part of uh, England where he was, uh, families couldn't support their kids, so they'd turn them out into the streets. And so he saw all these kids out in the streets and nobody's taking care of them and they're, they're running wild and, and have no guidance whatsoever. And so God really put it on his heart. And um, uh, he said, spoke to his heart about doing something about it. He said, I just had such a compassion and a desire to do something for these street kids. And so the Lord uh, spoke to him about giving him an orphanage. And he thought, well, how in the world could I have an orphanage? I don't have a place for an orphanage. I don't have any money for an orphanage. Well, how in the world is that going to work? And so he really felt impressed that the Lord told him to go talk to somebody about a certain house or a certain building or, or something along that line. It was a little bit out in the country, so he'd take the kids out of the city. And so he went to talk to somebody. There was a great big house, great big estate that was uh, for sale. And so he went and talked to this person and said, uh, um, I, I really don't know. Um, this isn't going to make much sense to you, but I, I want to start an orphanage for kids. And the guy kind of looked startled and he said, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't really know. I've just kind of got it on my heart to make a place for the kids that don't have homes and, and uh, um, so forth. So I'd, I'd like to inquire about the house you've got for sale. He said, I don't have any money. I don't have any means to, to, to pay you for it. And uh, long story short, the guy wound up basically giving him the place because God had spoken to him and told him in the dream the night before that a man was going to come to uh, the next day and, and uh, talk to him about turning the home, the estate into an orphanage and he better do what, he better uh, meet the guy's need. 
I don't know if there was nowhere else attached to that, but, I, you know, God's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. So anyway, Brother Muller started with this thing. He started with a few kids, and, and um, uh, you know, he didn't, have any, he didn't have any financial backing. He didn't have any government approval or anything like that. And, and uh, so he just started off. Uh, Brother Muller's uh, testimony was this. He said he wound up, I guess I should just tell you the end of the story. He wound up by the end of his life caring for 2,500 orphans. He was responsible for housing. I don't know if you know this, but you can't house 2,500 kids in one place. So he had, he had different orphanages and different um, uh, locations and stuff like that all over England. And uh, he was responsible for their care. He was responsible for feeding these kids. He was responsible for them for everything that they ever needed, clothing and, and so forth. And, and he said this. He said, when I first started, he said, it was all I could do to believe God. It, was, it would just stretch my faith to the limit to believe God for one pound, one English pound. He said, but now after feeding my faith daily for 50 years, he said, I can believe God for a million pounds as easy as I could that one pound when I started. Now, what changed? He didn't have any greater financial ability or financial backing after the fact than he did before when he first got started. What changed? His circumstance didn't change. He changed on the inside. He came to gain confidence because God answered him because God met the need day after day after day. And it was a daily affair. It wasn't like they had food stored up. And uh, back in those days, they didn't have a refrigeration. So it was a daily thing anyway. And, uh, and, but, but he said that by feeding his faith daily, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. What he's talking about is feeding his spirit on the word of God. See, so many people want strong faith, but they won't take the time to get it. One of the stories they tell about Wigglesworth, I, I won't leave Muller undone. I'll come back to him. But one of the things they talk about Wigglesworth is that he never, in a restaurant, in a home, or wherever, he would never eat a meal without finishing by saying, well, we fed our bodies, now let's feed our spirits. And he'd read some little, little passage or something on, on the subject of faith. He'd bring out his New Testament. I always had it with him. Pocket New Testament. And he'd read a scripture or two on faith or a few scriptures on faith. Usually wound up giving a little teaching, small teaching, to whoever he was with on the subject of faith to encourage them and encourage him, himself but he did that after every meal because faith was such an integral part of his life it was part of the way that God used him in ministry he made such a focus on the subject of faith that God was able to use him in a great way see a lot of people want to be used in a great way but they leave their faith dormant expecting that when the time comes all of a sudden God's going to give them whatever they need and it's going to work it doesn't work like that folks it's like not training and then expecting you're going to be able to lift a lot of weights. We have to train ourselves spiritually. We have to feed our spirit. We have to exercise our spirits on the subject of faith if we're going to be strong in faith, if we're going to grow in faith. Well, back to Muller. Muller said that by the end of 50 years of feeding his faith daily, feeding and exercising his faith daily on the word of God, he said, I was able to believe for a million pounds as easy as I was that that first English pound when he first started. Now I'll ask the question again. What changed? Well he changed on the inside. But think about this. God didn't change. God was as big when he was believing for one pound. As when he believed for a million pounds. I could stand here all night. And tell you stories about how God met the need at the last minute. People would show up with food unexpectedly. In the middle of the night sometimes. And, and so forth. There were times where he would have all the kids sit around the table. And nothing to put on the table. And in just a matter of minutes or a little bit of time, while they'd sit there praying and thanking God for the food, somebody would show up with a truckload or a wagon load of food. That's faith in action, isn't it? Well, see, he came to find, 
just as we're supposed to come to find that God always honors his word. He always honors his word. But that's what walking by faith is. Walking by faith is ignoring the circumstances when you've got God's word to the contrary. Living by what God's word says instead of what you see and feel. You know, one of the things that's always bugged me, how many of you have ever heard? Well, turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Let's, let's give a Bible foundation for it without just talking about it. One of the things that's always bugged me, and it's never, never really rung true with me why it bugged me so bad until here recently. Mark chapter 11 tells the story about Jesus and the fig tree. Let's just read it rather than... Uh, um, Summarize it. Verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. Now, that's a, that's a poor translation. If you know anything about fig trees in Israel, then and now, works the same way now, is that the figs that show up at the same time as the leaves. We're used to leaves coming out in the spring and then trees producing fruit as it goes, you know, a little fruit and then it grows bigger fruit and stuff like that. That's not the way it works with fig trees. Fig trees grow the leaves and the figs all at the same time. So the fact that the leaves were present on the tree should have been an indication, was an indication to Jesus that it should have been bearing fruit. So he gets to the fig tree and finds it's just leaves and not fruit on it. So Jesus curses the fig tree. Now this tree symbolizes Israel. It symbolizes that Israel looked like something that was fruitful, but it was not because the, the, uh, the law of Moses had been turned into the tradition of the elders. And so there's symbolism here, but Jesus goes beyond the symbolism to show what he does or show how he does what he does. Jesus answered and said unto it, I love verse 14, Jesus answered problems. Jesus has got a problem staring him in the face. He's got a situation where a tree that should be producing fruit, should be providing for him, isn't. So he answered it. It doesn't say he spoke to it, although he did. It says he answered it. Jesus is answering a tree. Now, whether you know it or not, Jesus recognized that the tree has just spoken to him. The tree has just said, I'm not going to provide for you. And Jesus answered it. What did he answer? He said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So he must have been loud enough for the guys around to hear. Jesus wasn't embarrassed to talk to a tree. I know a lot of Christians that would have thought it, maybe tried to pray it, but heaven forbid they would have never spoken to the situation. Verse 20, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. I, I, I have to say this every time I come to this point, folks, because it took me years to, to get a picture of what's going on here. A tree dried up from the roots would be a tree that looked like lightning had struck it. If you just took a chainsaw or whatever and cut the tree off at ground level, it'd still have green leaves on it the next morning. So the fact that this tree looks dried up from the roots means something miraculous. Not just supernatural, not just spectacular, but miraculous has taken place. So they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. I'm not sure what Peter's thinking. Is he thinking Jesus doesn't see this? Why does Peter speak up? But Jesus recognizes the implication of, the, of his statement. 
There is no question here, but Jesus gives an explanation. I assume that Jesus understood that when he spoke about the fig tree, look, the fig tree which you cursed yesterday is withered away. Peter must be wondering, Jesus must recognize that Peter and perhaps the others are wondering, how did that happen? So Jesus explains how it happened. Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Now, different translations will relate this in different ways. One translation says, have the faith of God. Another translation says, have the faith of the God kind of faith. Well, you could understand that would be accurate because the faith of God would be the God kind of faith, wouldn't it? So he said, have faith in God or the God kind of faith. And here he explains what the God kind of faith is. Jesus obviously has the God kind of faith because he's explaining now what he just did or did the day before that caused this situation to occur. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say. Notice the first thing Jesus mentions about faith is the word you say. Notice what Jesus said about the God kind of faith. For whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. Remember, faith is of the heart. With the heart man believeth unto. With the heart man believeth to become. With the heart man believeth to change. With the heart man believeth for something to take place. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. So he must be talking about believing in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you know that the Genesis account says that God created the worlds, the universe, everything that there is, by using faith? He spoke words. That is the God kind of faith. Now here's the thing that I've always had problems with. I heard Brother Hagin say it, and I never talked to him about it. I, I, it wasn't my place to do it. But I, I used to hear Brother Hagin say it. I've heard other ministers say it. I may have said it myself. But every time that it's ever come out of anybody's mouth, in the sound of my ears, it's always bugged me that some, for someone to say, God believed that what he said would take place, and so he spoke. Now think about that. Is Jesus cursing the fig tree and exerting anything that, you can, that we have evidence of? Is Jesus looking at the fig tree and thinking, okay, let's see, do I have enough faith for a fig tree? Did God look into the darkness and say, wow, it's dark out there. We need to change that. Folks, God doesn't exhibit faith. He doesn't exercise faith in the way that we think because the way we think is based on the physical body. We think in terms of, do I have enough faith to believe for my healing? Do I have enough faith for my financial needs to be met? Do I have enough faith to change this circumstance? Do I have enough faith for whatever? We think in terms of, do I have enough? Why do we think in terms of do we have enough? Because we're never sure or rarely sure of where our faith really is. And the reason for that is we never take the time to build and and develop our faith. If we took the time to build and develop our faith, we'd know exactly where our faith was at all times. God doesn't have any problem with that. God doesn't look at a situation and wonder if he has faith. He doesn't look at a situation and try to identify, am I sufficient enough in faith to do this? You know why? Because he's God. God doesn't think about faith in the way that we think about faith. And the only only reason that we think about faith in the terms that we do is because of the limitations of the physical body and our experience with our flesh. God speaks and things happen not because he has faith, but because he's God. He understands because he is the creator of the universe. Here's how it all works. What I say happens. 
And I would submit to you that that's the God kind of faith. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus saw the situation with the fig tree and answers the fig tree. He doesn't try to study it out. He doesn't say, I need somebody to bring me the Old Testament parchments. I need to feed my faith overnight so I can do something about this. Jesus understood just like God understands because Jesus knew who he was just like God knows who he is. And I would submit to you that Jesus looked at the situation and knew one thing and one thing paramount in his thinking. And that is what he says happens. Now, folks, I would also remind you that the Bible says Jesus laid aside his heavenly power and glory and came to the earth to be like a man. So the fact that Jesus knew that what he said happens in every situation is not because he's the son of God. It's because he's a man operating under the authority that God has delivered to mankind. See the reason that you and I have a hard time with faith. The reason that we struggle with faith. Is because we don't. We aren't established in the one principle. That Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 verse 23. Notice what you're supposed to believe. Verily I say unto you. That whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe. In his heart, independent of his five physical senses, that whatsoever he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. See, the reason why so many people struggle in faith is because they don't know who they are. The reason Jesus didn't struggle in faith is because he knew who he was. I'm not talking about that he knew he was the son of God. This didn't work because he was the son of God. This worked because he exercised faith because he knew that he was a man anointed of God operating as a sinless man under the old covenant. Well, guess what? You're a sinless man or a woman under the new covenant. A better covenant established upon better promises. And because your faith and your confession has brought you into righteousness, not believing for righteousness, but knowing that you are righteous. That's the foundation. That's the starting point for us to realize, hopefully, and as far as God's concerned, the potential is there for all of us to realize that everything that we say is intended to come to pass. See, when God spoke the worlds into existence, he didn't stop and think, you know, I've got to make sure I do this right. I've got to make sure that I come up with some wise way to make all this work. He's God. He is wisdom. Anything that he does is wisdom. God didn't have to really come up with a plan. He's God. He is the plan. See, for God to have to come up with some wise way to do this, or have to, God didn't have to go into the, the back library and pull out the books where he's made notes before on how he was going to do all this stuff. He is wisdom personified. Jesus was too. Jesus didn't have to stop under any circumstance, in any situation. He didn't have to stop and think, you know, this is going to be recorded. I need to make sure to say this right. Did he? He didn't have to stop and try to figure out what am I going to do here. You know why? Because he was the word made flesh. Which means that when you and I walk by faith, live our lives... Operate in our lives according to what the word says and the faith that that word has produced in our hearts instead of the things that we see and feel. That means we're operating by wisdom personified. 
Is this making any sense? The God kind of faith is the faith that understands that what I say happens. What I say comes to pass. If Jesus appeared, we've, we've talked about this before. If Jesus appeared in the flesh for just a moment so that everybody could see and said for the few seconds that he was here, I have a message from the throne of Almighty God. From this moment forward, everything you say will come to pass and then disappear. Would that change your life? I've got news for you, folks. He's already said that. That wouldn't be news. Might be exciting. Be great to experience. But that's not news. He's already said that. He's already told us that. The problem is so much of what we say is contrary to the word. And it comes to pass too. But we're left with the unhappy dilemma of trying to figure out what was right and what was wrong. What do we do right? What do we do wrong? How do we mess up? And so forth. But if we lived our lives according to the word of God in every situation. And folks, this is the renewing of the mind. The renewed mind is not the mind that knows everything about the Bible backwards and forwards. The renewed mind is the mind that asks the question under every circumstance and every situation. What does the word say about this? The renewed mind is the mind that goes first and foremost to the word of God. So that it can speak and believe what the word says about any given circumstance. That person is going to walk in victory in every aspect of his life. Are you out there? That's why it's so important to walk according to faith. Or walk by faith instead of according to our five physical senses. That's why it's so pleasing to God. Because we're choosing to allow his word to direct our lives. When everything around us might contradict it. Everything that we see. Everything that we feel. Everything that we have experience with. And have, have had experience with all the days of our lives. Before we came in contact with the Lord. Is set aside and negated by the truth of God's word. I wish we could see, I wish we could understand the pleasure that it brings the Father, the joy that we can give God by looking in any situation and say, well, it looks like this and I feel like that. But your word says, by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. So I choose to say that I'm healed by Jesus' stripes. Or the bills are piled, piled sky high. We have no money. The only phone calls that we get are not friends, they're creditors looking for payment. But the word says that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. The word says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. The word says, if I bring my tithe into the storehouse, God opens the windows of heaven to us. And the word says, as I give, it's given back unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over to men, given to my bosom. So therefore I choose to put the word of God in practice in our lives. Do you know what pleasure it brings to the Father when you feel bad, but you say, Jesus is my peace, he's my joy, and so therefore I will rejoice. I'll not succumb to depression or, or discouragement, but instead I'll thank God for the good things that he's done for me, the fact that he's made me more than a conqueror by Christ Jesus. That's why rejoicing is faith in action, folks. That's why the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise means you praise God when you don't feel like doing it. 
Why? Because that's walking by faith. If only our eyes could be opened for just a moment so that we could see the authority and the power that God has already placed as a deposit within us. If we could see that the power of the devil is nothing in comparison, doesn't even show up against what God has placed on the inside of the believer who simply stands on the word of God no matter what it looks and feels like. If our eyes could be open to that for just one moment, you'd never have another problem with the devil ever again. But then again, we'd be looking for what we can see, wouldn't we? Folks, we all like that. We might as well just fess up. We'd all like to see things with our physical eye because then that would make us feel confident in what we're choosing to believe. Remember, faith is the confidence in what you can't see. Bible faith is the evidence of what you can't see. Let's go back to Romans chapter 10. We'll close with this. I hope this is making sense. I understand what I'm saying, but I don't know if I'm getting it across or not. Romans chapter 10, again, verse 8. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Notice that faith is always with you. That's what nigh means. Faith is always near. You don't always have to choose to operate in faith, but it's always there. And notice what Paul calls that. He knows what he called his preaching. He called it the word of faith. I know a lot of people criticize the so-called word of faith movement in the body of Christ. But Paul seemed to be part of it. What saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy heart and in thy mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved for. Here's why that works. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Believing and confessing is always made unto. It always has an end result. It'll change you. It'll change your circumstances. Notice verse 11 now. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You know what ashamed means? It's got a lot of different meanings in the, in the original Greek. But one thing it means is to be free from fear. Whosoever believeth in him shall be free from fear. Another meaning of this word is whosoever believeth in him shall not fail to receive. God's made some pretty strong statements about faith. He said, if you'll believe, you'll always come through. Then he talks about hearing and believing. He talks about hearing and having faith. Notice verse 17, he says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So what does that mean then? If we walk by faith and not by sight, then that means we have to, since faith only comes by hearing. It doesn't come by praying. It doesn't even come by Jesus appearing. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Walking by faith means, has to mean, of necessity, has to mean that walking by faith is walking according to what we hear in the word. Living our lives according to what we hear in the word. Operating in every circumstance according to what we hear in the word. What about when sickness comes against us? We operate according to what we hear in the word. What about about when financial trouble arises? We walk according to what we hear in the word. 
What about when they give a report at the office that they're going to be laying people off? We walk according to what we hear in the word. That's the only way we can be pleasing unto God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The word is the handbook for your life. It's not a matter of do I have enough faith. It's a matter of recognizing I am one with the Father and he's given me his word to live by. I think if we focused on that instead of focused on faith so much in and of ourselves, what do we have? What can we believe for? Yeah, but I know people have tried that and failed and all this other kind of stuff. If we just accepted who we are in Christ and the word of God is the answer, then faith becomes an uh, an uncommon action. Um, That's an unconscious action is what I'm trying to say. We're not conscious of the exercise of faith. We're just living according to the word. And that is faith in action. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to walk by faith. To walk according to what we hear from your word instead of what we see in our lives. Thank you, Father, that your word always changes situations. Thank you that it changes us. It changes things around us. Thank you that because we believe in you, we are never ashamed. We never fail to receive. We're always free from fear. Thank you, Lord, that you're more than enough in every situation. And your word sees us through. In Jesus' precious name, amen.